On today's Daily Charge Supercharged Edition, First World Problems Galore, Oversaturated Streaming versus FOMO, What's the Cutoff? Which streaming service really serves its audience best? Which has the highest quality catalog? And can you modify your Amazon shopping habits to alleviate the stress for Amazon warehouse workers? How many uh, views did Stranger Things get? I'd, 64 million. 64 yeah. million? Okay, In the so first 63 four million weeks. of those were mine. Just... <laughs> Well, this is the other interesting thing, I think. Um, And I got to try. I want to make sure that I got it right, that it was 64. It was. It was. Okay. Um, The interesting thing is that means that 64 membership accounts watched it. So you have to take into... You have to take into account, that was a terrible pun, and I didn't want it to be a pun, but I couldn't think of another word. Um, You have to take into account the fact that multiple people watch in a household on one subscription account, and... There's also the issue of password sharing. Now, that ne- never happens. What are you talking it about? It happens, but like services like Netflix, they have um, simultaneous stream limits. So it's not like we know that people password share on Netflix, but we also know that they can't password share and like you can't have like 14 thousands. people right. or like 150 people or like a thousand people on one membership account. But you can assume that there's more than one person, more than one it's not a like like the 64 million accounts doesn't mean only 64 million people watch. So there's some sort of magnitude of something also right. going on there. Yeah, that being said, it's still frustrating. Number one, from a reporting perspective, number one, that they cherry pick these numbers. And number two, that yeah. there really isn't a direct comp other than to compare it to other Netflix yeah, shows. Yeah, you so can't compare be, it to anything else. It'll be interesting for- to see when Disney Plus comes out, HBO Max, uh, Peacock, um, Apple TV Plus, whether, I don't know, Nielsen is going to get more involved because as more eyeballs, trend, well, I, Nielsen, I mean, like Netflix is not new. No, you know? Nielsen is issuing some ratings for Netflix viewing. These are the problems. Um, Netflix has over 150 million subscribers. Uh, I think about 55 of them, 56 of them, if I remember from last night, 56 of them are in the US. And Nielsen's ratings only take into account US viewing. Um, so like two thirds of Netflix subscribers aren't even counted by Nielsen Mm. and Nielsen only counts people that are watching on TV. So anything that's on a mobile device, uh, or a laptop or a computer isn't counted either. Like 75, 70 to 80% of Netflix's viewing is on a TV, but there's still a large proportion of it that's watched on other devices. So it doesn't count either of those. So like, so it just goes to show like there aren't, there's no way to compare. Even when people do track Netflix independently, you can't independently verify these numbers that Netflix is giving. Hmm. Cool. Okay, Ayaz is in the chat again today. Uh, oh, thanks hey, for chatting Ayaz. in. Uh, he wanted to clarify that Murder Mystery was that Sandler Aniston movie that came out. Yeah. Um, it was so for, good, apparently. What? No, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. I mean, like, the pinnacle for Adam Sandler for me was the Zohan movie because, like, I was in on all those jokes with Fizzy Bublech. So, you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, never mind. I can appreciate that, but everybody knows that Billy Madison is the best. Okay, that's just, that's fair. Time. Uh, Commander Trium, Netflix needs to do more to create content relevant and interesting to its viewers. It's just that simple. Amazon does a better job on that front, though there is plenty of room to improve on both. Do you agree or disagree? Hmm. I think it's interesting that. Um who was it that Commander Trium? Commander Trium. Hello, Commander. Hey, I think it's interesting that you think that Amazon is serving, and I assume he's talking about serving viewers. I think with Amazon Commander Prime is Video. a woman, actually. Oh, Commander, she. Sorry. Um, 
that's interesting because Netflix has such a bigger catalog. Amazon Prime Video has a much bigger like licensed catalog. They have more movies and shows, but and in terms do, of what they produce, they don't make as much as. And they've got Thursday night football. And they've got live sports, which Netflix is like, no, Forget won't it. do it. Yeah, they don't want to do anything live. So, Commander, I'm interested to know which shows you're really into. Uh, Man in the High Castle, I was super into the first season, and then I stopped watching it altogether. Yeah, obviously, See? even people that are into like second seasons and third seasons, they have a hard time. Right, Marvelous Miss Maisel has gotten really, really good reviews. I love it. I think it's great. I haven't watched it. I love it. And I my think it's wife hilarious. has watched the whole thing, yeah, which is unfortunately such a stereotype that I would like to watch it. I will watch it at some time. So. <laughs> Yeah, but there are uh, quite a few Amazon shows that I think have been like big tentpole shows that have won awards. Uh, Fleabag is another one. So, um, yeah. But yeah, Commander, I'd love to hear w- which ones you are referencing. I don't even count Fleabag, really, because like they just license so. it because it's a, uh, it's a OK. It was a, I can't remember if it was Channel 4 or BBC, but it was like it was a British show and it like did its thing. And then it's kind of like there are other shows that are on Netflix that they say are Netflix originals, but really they were made I in did England. not realize that yeah. I thought Fleabag was like an Amazon no, show no they just like swoop in at the end and like we like Netflix wanted to get Fleabag for the second season they wanted to swipe mm. it from Amazon because they saw how popular it was and they saw how popular they saw how popular the second season was in England when it was broadcast I think I'm not sure when the deals were anyways um, yeah and Amazon's gonna have Lord of the Rings that's gonna be a huge temple thing It'll be interesting to see nobody how cares about that I'm yeah, kidding nobody cares about that <laughs> I, I want to bring up an issue that I do find with all of this, though. Like, my girlfriend watched Fleabag, and she very much enjoyed it uh, while she was traveling one week, and I wasn't even aware that it existed. Like, so many of these things are coming out these days, these premium shows, that they're completely flying under the radar to a certain yeah, extent, like, right? Yeah, like Tall Girl. I heard about pretty, that today. I feel like I'm pretty in the know and in the loop, at least with media and geek culture-y stuff, but if they can crank shows out to the point where I don't even know how many there are anymore. Is that going to be a problem in the long run? Are we going to reach fatigue sooner than later? Um, well, I think that, like, the example of Tall Girl is a good one. You know, that's a teen rom-com. It's like a high school rom-com. And so even though Ben and BBG, I assume you have Netflix accounts, like, there's no reason why Netflix would serve you that, because why would you ever be interested? In, right. Would Whereas- you? I watched Probably it. They not. served it to me because I watched a lot of like the teen, like John Hughes esque movies, partly because they're super popular on Netflix. I'm like, oh my God, these are insanely popular. I need to know what's why, like. Yeah, what's what, going on with Yeah, them. what's no, going on? We, the, the algorithm serves us up things like Working Moms, which fits our demo right. much, much more clearly. And so, like, yeah, as. Netflix in particular, but also these other streaming services, they're all going to be trying to make content for a wide variety of mass of, of both niche and mass audiences. And so the problem becomes that they can surface those and target those for individual viewers within their own service to varying degrees of success. Netflix kind of being the standard that everyone sort of aspires to, to be. Um, but a even Netflix, people are always like, I have to look forever until I can find something Mm. that I want to find. So even the best in the business isn't even lifting and surfacing these things in a way that is perfect or even like unaggravating. Um, And then two, all these services, they're not going to be talking to each other. That's the whole point. They're competitors. And so for you to know what's good on on each service, then that requires labor on the user to know which ones really appeal to you. Mm. Joan, I'm curious, in the conversations you've had with any of these streaming platforms, literally any of them, what are some of the problems that they've come up with when it comes to developing that algorithm and any machine learning they use 
to try to make recommendations. Do they struggle with people like me who can watch like 16 straight hours of Parks and Rec on loop, uh, drop back and watch some Saturday morning Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons and then hard pivot over into like the bloodiest, goriest horror movie all in the span of 24 hours? Is that something that really messes with their system? So, you know, I don't know, especially with the new ones that are launching, I don't exactly know how they're going to be approaching um recommendations but the way that netflix does it generally is they kind of i would think think about it like in terms of like neighborhoods like they think like you or venn diagrams or something like that like you ben or you bbg you have your like entertainment viewing household apartment building whatever on the certain corner of the certain block and that's an intersection of horror and so because this is like a BVG centered universe, all the like the horror is. neighborhood like has one foot on the corner of your block and like the binge watching. I can't remember some of the Parks other things. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec has one foot on the corner of your block. And so they start to like develop, they sort of understand these like cohorts that you're part of. And from that cohort, cohort they start to know that people in that cohort also tended to like... ABC and people in right. the Parks and Rec cohort also tended to like D, E, and F. So that's generally how they approach it. But I don't really, but part of the reason that Netflix is able to do the best at these sort of recommendations is because they've been doing it so long and they have, they have the data to do it and they don't share that data with anybody. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Disney has a lot of data. Apple has a lot of data about what you like. Um, but I think of all of them, Apple probably is in the best position to know on an individual level linked to your Apple ID, the kinds of things that you look use in the app store and that you have purchased from iTunes and stuff like that. So they might be at the best advantage. But really, yeah, it, it, it takes time for them to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that's interesting will be that some of these services... Um, are going to be subscription only, and therefore you don't have to worry about them sharing this data with advertisers or marketers. Um, Netflix is that way. Apple TV Plus is that way. Disney is that way. But others of them are going to have um, ad-free tiers, but also ad-supported tiers. So then you get into a privacy issue about how much of your information and how much data that they're generating on you will be shared to third parties. That's something that Netflix has never had to deal with, but some of these new competitors will. I feel like a conversation, uh, like if we were able to get somebody from Netflix R&D or something like that to come in and and try to walk us through some of their processes that they they take into account when developing these systems without giving up, you know, too much. The secret sauce. I I think that'd be a really interesting interview if we could ever set something like that That's probably Todd Yellen, who I call high energy Yellen. Because he's very high energy. Um, They do these at uh, events sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for instance, I remember I pitched to you you one thing where they were talking about how the algorithm serves different um, thumbnails to different people depending on what they know about you. So, um, yeah, exactly from what you were saying, they can pull from such a large audience at this point. And plus, these types of algorithms have existed for a really long time, whether it's with Netflix, Spotify, Pandora... Um, these companies have just gotten much, much better at trying to like target specifically like what to serve people up next because yeah. that's they're they're in the business of you know soaking up as much of your time as possible. I mean, like Facebook is another perfect example of that where they really try to serve you the next most interesting thing to get you to keep scrolling or keep watching or what have you. Right. Yeah. But I think that the difference between the Facebook like making an analogy between Facebook and these companies is that. Um, Facebook engagement and keeping you stuck in their on their app is 
is critical to them making money. Like the more mm. ads, they can serve you more ads the longer you stay in there. And with Netflix and these subscription services, yes, they want you to be watching as much as possible, but only to the point that you're actually enjoying the service and you want to can keep paying them for it. So if they're wasting your time and serving you, like if they... If, they're basically, if Netflix were to go the clickbait route, it's like, we want people to be watching yeah. our video you might get 18 exhausted. hours of the day, yeah. maybe eat a meal, maybe sleep a few hours, then come right back, which is what Facebook wants. I mean, also, they don't. They say they don't, but... No, they from do. A, they the, do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> but, like, you know, that's not a recipe to have people be, like... People are going to be like, oh, God, I hate Netflix. I don't want to pay for this anymore. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so they're, they have more of an ingrained financial incentive to not make their service frustrating, even if that frustration comes from binging things for hours and hours and losing your loved ones and like not having a life and that kind of thing. Like Facebook does. Sounds lovely. <laughs> Relevant self-serving plug. Make sure to check out CNET's Netflix podcast hosted by our very own Aya Zaktar to stay up on all of the streaming noise being made these days. Uh, speaking of Ayaz, he's asking, do we know if Amazon makes recommendations for videos based on your shopping habits? I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Um, they probably do based on your purchases within the Prime Video app, because that would just make sense. But if it's, um, you know, across different catalogs or if it's across, you know, what, what your actual shopping behavior is, I'm not, I don't know that they've ever actually said that. For- I don't know if they've said it, but just from what's being manifested in recommendations. I think they probably do, but I think that it's very like, it's like, you know, we, in my family, cause we have kids, we buy a lot of kids stuff. And so I get recommended on my account, a lot of kids shows, whether that's because we started showing our kids kids shows or whether they're surfacing it because they know we buy kids. Or things. if it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Or a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, it's a good question because I do wonder like, so for instance, with human reviewers, people were really taken aback by that. So I would be curious to see if people found out that that was the case, that your purchasing behavior was being used for that algorithm. Considering all the privacy concerns that people have had these days, I don't, my initial impression is is people wouldn't be that excited about it. And they'd be like, my purchasing is my purchasing and stop mining it for more information. I don't know. I don't know if people would, honestly. I might, I kind of disagree with you because I feel like there's a big difference between you're listening to me talk in my home Mm. versus you know that I bought Barack Obama's autobiography and therefore you think I might want to watch this documentary about the Obama White House or something like that. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be Obama. It could be Trump. So, you know that I really like reading all these Trump supporter books. um, Therefore, you probably are going to start recommending documentaries about the Trump administration. You know, like that. I I don't know if people would be as unnerved by that sort of cross-pollination between the different parts know. of Amazon yeah. as they are because like there's a big difference I think between that and there's something that's listening to me in my home and there are people on the other end that are listening to it too yeah that's pretty creepy I mean we have seen how <laughs> creepy that has been yeah people were pretty uncomfortable with it cross genre cross medium I'm with you Joan I don't know if I'd necessarily read the same thing I'd watch so yeah I would hope that they'd keep their nose out of that, I guess. I'd yeah. also wish that they would find a better pace. Like, going back to the whole oversaturation thing, uh, we're going to get to the point where we're going to enjoy a series at lightning speed, breakneck speed, 
and then it's going to be done and we're all going to be heartbroken because we binged it in a weekend and then you're just going to wait five years until the inevitable reboot and then you're essentially going to be walking down that path again. That's what it feels like these days. Well, Storm King says, uh, when does Netflix reach a saturation point so that new growth becomes impossible? When is Netflix going to reach that saturation point? It's pretty close in the U.S. In the U.S., they're getting towards that point where, especially now that they're going to be facing more competition, um, even though they say like, hey, it's going to pe- draw people away from cable. But I think it's just going to be it's going to be harder to win those dollars when there's more people directly saying instead of giving them your dollars, give us your dollars. So in the U.S., where they have been a Netflix has been operating as a streaming service the longest by far. Um, they're starting to reach that point where it's really hard to add people as much as they had every, every, you know, they had their first drop three months ago in U.S. subscribers. But that being said, two thirds of their subscribers are international. And um, although there's competition ad hoc in every market, um, Netflix certainly has is it's the it's the single biggest video streaming service that spans the the globe. There are a couple in China that are also really big, but they stick in China. So so going back to your other point, BBG, as far as um, binging, I, I've definitely wondered about that myself. So with Stranger Th- Things three, I feel like everybody was talking about it at least in my neck of the woods for like a week maybe, yeah. And then it was it was done because everybody basically binged the show, and if they didn't, they weren't you know really chatting about it nearly as much on Twitter. Whereas you know another you know major play, which I would argue is a much much bigger one, w- was Game of Thrones, and because each one of those episodes was dropping every single Sunday, yeah, that was a much longer burn. And even though people were complaining about it incessantly, there was there was this pace and cadence where. Um, it was just part of the zeitgeist for, I feel, a longer time. Right. So people bring up the Game of Thrones example and a lot in terms of like comparing binge model to like, but look at how fun it was with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was like, I'll say this, I've said this before on Daily Charge, I'll say it again. It was like a once in a lifetime phenomena. Like mm. there's not very many Game of Thrones out there. There's like a couple things, like Stranger Things I think is one thing that sort of maybe comes close. Could you um, argue that the next Lord of the Rings series might be kind of it'll trying be hard. to knock that model. I think you're right. I mean, Joan, it's just that it will be it's gonna be really very hard. hard to reach that pinnacle. You're like, right that it was one of the it was it was in in this age where people's attention is spread so thinly across so many yeah. different things that that was the closest that we have gotten to what is it like scheduled viewing or, you know, engagement television yeah. that, um, you know, you really don't see unless it's like a, a debate or appointment uh, television. Yeah. yeah. Appointment television. Thank you. Uh, or, um, you know, sports like, like obviously the Super Bowl, but also Monday night football on a regular weekly basis. So, um, I remember we did that with Seinfeld way back when but that was but just a different time. Like you that didn't was have a all, totally was different, a different time. time. And yeah. there wasn't a DVR back then. Yeah. So, you know, you had I to remember. watch it then or you didn't get to see it until reruns until syndication. Right. And, and to me with game of Thrones specifically, it was like, if you don't watch it that night, everybody's going to be talking about it mm. the next day. And you're, you're in threat for, I don't know, getting some sort of, um, you know, spoiler or whatever. If FOMO, you know, yeah, exactly. So the, the other, so, they actually addressed this point last night. Yes, uh, last night when they were discussing earnings, um, someone asked the executives. You know, people say that you like with Stranger Things, you have all this buzz, and then it fizzles out like immediately thereafter. And so they raised the point, and there are some caveats to this. But they've said like, look, we do the binge model. Also, no, none of these other streaming services are going to do the binge model. They're going to be doing week to week for just this reason. But Netflix, like, look, we do the binge model for the vast majority of our shows, but there are certain shows that we do do 
week to week. Two, two examples. One is Rhythm and Flow, which is the reality series where they're experimenting. It's a music, it's like their rapping competition show mm. where they're experimenting with it being a week to week release so that there can be that time for conversation. Um, that's more recent. More prevalent is they do have these shows that have like, like Great British Baking Show, which they release week to week because that way it's being released in the UK right now on Channel 4, I think. Um, and this way, by releasing it week to week, almost simultaneous with that broadcast, um, Netflix viewers that aren't in the UK don't have to wait until the end of the season in order to get all these episodes that other people in the UK. The point is they com- they've compared the two and they've found that they get more social buds and engagement with these binge things when they really do hit and strike gold than they do with these things that they do release week to week, that they find that the social engagement isn't as for like isn't as fervent over the course of mm. eight weeks or 12 weeks um, when it's on Netflix. Now, like a lot of Netflix sets, that's not ended. They didn't like give us any hard numbers to support it. They just said it generally as a blanket statement. But that's what they claim is that even though it feels like it because we have like an example like Game of Thrones, except for Game of Thrones, there's not a lot of things. Yes, the buzz like continues, but mostly those are in shows where there's a dedicated fan base that isn't a mass audience fan base. Yeah. Disclaimer before the uh, comment section chews me up. I recognize that Lord of the Rings was a film phenomenon uh, about 15 years ago. And uh, Mm -hmm. before that, of course, a book phenomenon. I'm just saying, are they bringing a rebooted TV series per se on the coattails of Game of Thrones or would have happened inevitably? That's all I want to put it out there. I got to thinking, this is the internet. Someone's going to chew me a new one for that. Uh Uh, Real quick, real quick. Does anyone else get anxiety with their lists on streaming services? I don't feel like I can watch everything with the Disney Plus launch starting next month. It's going to increase. Is this the best first world problem we could ever have? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about the golden age of television or streaming broadly for the past couple of years now. And, you know, the Emmys get a lot more buzz than they used to. They're basically, I mean, like, you know, a lot more about this world than I do, but they're gotten, they've gotten a lot closer to Oscar caliber, even the shows themselves. Uh, And having a lot of good television, like more good television than you could actually watch is great. That's Mm -hmm. just fine. It's the same thing as like books. There are too many books for you to read in a lifetime that are really, really good. So uh, the corollary is much worse. The alternative is much worse where, you know, you're going to read Ulysses and then you're done. You know, like, all right, there aren't any other good books. So um, (laughs) I'd love to go back and actually watch all of Mad Men. You know, my wife and I watched it for a while and then we kind of dropped off. Yeah, on like a third season. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of slow. But um, anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, too. I mean, well, the thing that I would say is that I don't think it's a first world problem. It's just like a best kind of problem for almost everybody because these streaming services, Netflix is pretty much global except for China. And in China, there are low cost streaming services on par with Netflix that serve that market. Um, And, you know, in places like India, they've started experimenting with this mobile only, very low cost subscription um, so that people in places that aren't quote unquote, first world that are more developing countries can have access to the entire catalog that everybody else who pays for the, you know, premium tier in, in Europe or in America or in places, you know, anywhere get. So um, I don't think it's like a first world problem. I think it's just like a great problem that everybody can enjoy being, having that problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting for the day that we can finally, uh, 
get a viable excuse that uh, HR has to let you take off of work because of a FOMO condition. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, shoot, I, I got to binge. I got to binge this. I can't come into work today or else I'll, I'll, I'll be spoilered. Uh, <laughs> all right. We are way over time. Let's tackle one more real quick, real quick. Uh, which streaming platform do you think has the best quality, not quantity, of movies and shows? Uh, okay. Stranger Things on Netflix, The Boys on Amazon. The Boys was awesome, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Impulse on YouTube. Right now, uh, I've been heavily favoring Hulu for the past several weeks, uh, especially as of late, because they just released a new season of Letterkenny, which if you're not watching, you need to watch, or I'm going to remove you from this show audience. I'm not watching it. What happens when the host isn't watching? <laughs> Stand up and leave. Oh, damn it. So quality, what's our what's our conclusion? Um I watch a, good a lot of HBO. That's you yeah. know I that's an easy answer, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to I watch so much I love titles on different services. And also we don't know exactly we don't know how Apple TV Plus's originals are gonna be. They could be Amazing, and they could be just meh. They could just be really expensive meh stuff. They could be really bad. Same with Disney Plus. Same with, I mean, HBO Max, which is the Time Warner mm. one that's going to be launching. We'll have all the HBO stuff, but also have like Friends. It'll have oh, I can never remember. Big Bang one. Theory. I can never remember. I think yeah, Warner has Big Bang Theory and Friends, and I think Peacock's going to have The Office. I can't. Remember. Oh wait a minute, you're right. I might be confusing the two. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. Even double I, check it before you sign up for any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't make a quality between uh, what I can say, like definitively, is that um, for the generalized human being, if you are trying to pick one thing that you think might have a title that really appeals to you, it's by just by law of averages, it's going to be Netflix because they have the biggest catalog. Um, but he said not quantity. He I know, but like quality. that's the thing. It's a qualitative that's stuff. It's so individual. Subjective. You know, like for every individual, like the thing like you love the DC thing that you're getting for free. But I would have I would think that that's like I would have zero interest in it just because I'm not into DC comics or that universe at all. So it's just such an individual thing. Your individual preferences dictate which one has the most value. And in terms of quality, like that's probably and if you just want to go by like production quality, all of them are spending ridiculous amounts of money on these shows, like all of them. So there's going to be. The, the highest production value on at least one title on all of them. Let's get to work on developing anyway. <laughs> a uh, cataloging system or like a game of bingo to decipher, okay, this show cost over a million dollars. It turned a uh, uh, 300% profit and it got X amount of streams kind of thing to try to like That's a horror show. Qualify. You just described a horror movie. <laughs> Probably. Uh, hey, one more real, really super fast, uh, just because we didn't really talk that much on Amazon today. Uh, yes, ben, Amazon. Regarding Hi. the Amazon story, should one try to avoid using one day shipping? Will that actually alleviate the stress on workers? Mm, no, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, Amazon's going to move toward one day shipping regardless. They've they've said that uh, they're going to push that to become the new default as opposed to two day shipping. So if people are really concerned about Amazon's worker treatment, what I've seen is, is that people stop shopping on Amazon or mm-hmm. they cancel their prime subscription. So trying to avoid one day shipping. I don't really know that you're going to be able to do that very easily. And by the way, no, I'm not suggesting that you stop shopping at Amazon or 
cancel your prime subscription. I wouldn't, I like, it's not my position to tell you to do that or not to do that, but, um, definitely the workers, especially the warehouse workers I've noticed have really gotten a bigger voice and they've been speaking up a lot more. So it's been interesting to see that happen. And as that continues, um, we'll see how Amazon responds. So switching from like two day, one day shipping to two day shipping probably won't make a difference. If you want to make a difference in workers' lives, then you have to go like with a more drastic sort of. I don't know. Like if you, if a bunch of people cancel their prime subscriptions, then people could get laid off, you know? So like, I'm I'm just saying for folks that are, you know, they pay attention to some of the concerns that warehouse workers have been talking about a lot. Generally, like a lot of people have made the calculus to say, I'm going to cancel prime or I'm going to go out of my way to not shop on Amazon. Um, that's that's still a fairly niche move, I would say. I don't see a ton of people doing that, but that's at yeah. least a narrative that's gotten a little bit more attention more recently. I, I, I don't bump into a lot of people that have done that. Yeah. All right. We went super duper long today, but we're trying to make up the difference for being so uh, lackluster in the past couple of weeks due to conflicts and me being sick. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for sticking around. Uh, when the conversation's good, the conversation's good. What can I say? But have a great week. Joan, go ahead and take us out. Yeah. If you have any feedback for us, you can hit us up on Twitter about what you want to see. And don't forget to subscribe here on YouTube. Ring the bell. That means that you'll get a dose of essential tech news on the regular. Have a great weekend. For The Daily Charge, I'm Joni Salzman. I'm Ben Fox Rubin. Thanks for joining us. 